Welcome to Deep Talk, the podcast for advanced English learners who are looking to explore something a little bit deeper. My name's Rhiannon and I'm an English teacher and coach. Each week I invite a different guest onto the show and they choose a text or video they've really loved recently. Together we talk about the ideas and we invite you to join in on social media. You'll find the link to the text we discuss in the description to this podcast, along with a link for the transcript, which will help you follow the twists and turns of our conversations. We'd always love to know what you think about a specific episode, topic, or text. So please send me a message either via Instagram at RhiannonELT or by email at info at RhiannonELT.com. You'll find the links to both of those in the description. This week, our topic of discussion is women and society's expectations of us. What are women supposed to be like? How are we supposed to act? What is considered appropriate or suitable for women to do? My guest, Candelaria, is the ultimate deep talker. When I invited her to be a guest, she bounced between a whole bunch of different ideas of what she wanted to talk about before finally settling on this topic, as it was one that had come up again and again in her exam preparation classes with me and was clearly something we both felt strongly about. She found a text that I really recommend you take a look at. It's a pretty short article written in an American student newspaper called The Equinox and explores briefly some key areas in which men and women are held to different standards. As you'll hear, we don't agree 100% with the writer, but she does raise some excellent points that we enjoyed discussing. As always, get in touch with your thoughts. These podcast episodes are invitations to a conversation, and I've absolutely loved talking to you about the episode so far. Anyway, without further ado, let's listen to this week's Deep Talk. My guest today is Candelaria. Candelaria currently works as cabin crew and also as a freelance copywriter. She feels these two jobs complement each other because she can take her laptop around the world and find inspiration writing all over. Originally from Argentina, she moved to the UK seven years ago and perhaps ironically given her job, in her spare time she likes to travel. She also enjoys connecting with nature Living in England, she likes to take any opportunity to spend time outside when the weather is nice. She even once postponed one of our classes because the sun was shining and she wanted to go for a walk. Candelaria and I met a few months ago when she wanted some help preparing for her proficiency English exam. As we record today, at the beginning of February, she is going to take the exam in just a few weeks. The text she has chosen for today's deep talk is called Societal Expectations female perspective, and is written by Pooja Thapa, a student journalist writing in the Equinox. So Candelaria, thank you for joining us today. Could you start us off by giving us a quick summary of what this article is about? Hello, Rhiannon. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm so excited to be joining you today. This is the first time I'm doing anything like this, so please bear with me <laughs> uh, if I make any mistake. But well, the, the text I've chosen is called Societal Expectations, uh, a female perspective. Actually, it is very ironic because I chose this text, but the more I analyzed it, the more I actually started to disagree with her. Interesting. <laughs> I think um, 
Her thesis is good, the essence and the ideas are good enough, but her arguments are a little bit too vague. All right. Um, I think actually that's the risk when you approach things with a critical mind. You may end up changing your mind. So basically, Puja talks about the pressure that women face um, to fulfill societal expectations. Um, she presents different examples throughout the article to talk about this pressure. For example, regarding our body image. Uh, she says that women should be skinny, but then at the same time should be curvy. Uh, we should be smart and intelligent, but submissive, well-dressed, but shouldn't take too long to get dressed and things like this. Um, she then questions where these expectations come from. Is it family? Is it society itself? She even mentions Disney movies. Um, she recognizes that changes have been introduced in society. For example, we can now vote, work, etc. Things that maybe 50 years ago or even a little bit, you know, 100 years ago, we were not able to do. But there is still a lot to be done. Uh, she mentions a very interesting law or act in America, which is called the Family and Medical Leave Act, which ensures 12 weeks of unpaid maternity leave and I think we can discuss that later on as well. She then finishes the article by saying that we are also responsible for the expectation we set for ourselves and this is where I started being a little bit like mm, I'm not sure about yeah your arguments. Yeah that was a red flag for me as well. And I was like mm, I think actually <laughs> I started to change my mind about the, the article um, and she, her final argument is that women are powerful enough not to be influenced by these expectations. Are we really? <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. I, 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 my experience of the text was very, very similar to yours. I related really strongly to it in the kind of first page and then towards the end started to think, uh, okay, maybe. Um, but why don't we start at the beginning? That list that you kind of read out just now, that sort of women should be skinny but curvy at the same time, smart and intelligent but submissive at the same time, that is something that I certainly can relate to. That feels very, very true mm -hmm. for me. Would you? And I think that was a, I think that was a trap for me because I read that list at the beginning. Um, I mean, the trap in a sense, like I, I think the text is good, uh, but then I ended up changing my mind about it. I think the list, that list was a trap for me because I completely agree with, with her in the sense that I felt related or connected to every single of the, uh, of the items in that list. Yeah. I think it, it's accurate, actually. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, there are, there are more examples that we could add to this. She calls she calls the list absurdly long and I yeah it is just so true the the trap that women are are put in the kind of Madonna whore complex I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term you know women have to be pious and modest and holy whilst also being sexual exactly exactly it's like this dichotomy all the time we have to um, face and live and fulfill all these expectations which are not fair for us as women men don't get half of the pressure we get <laughs> and yeah and I think unfortunately this list is not exhaustive is you can 
go on and on and on and add more things of the different kind of pressures we face as women compared to that pressure we face as men. And I was actually thinking about this yesterday and I thought I'm beginning to reflect on what kind of pressures do we face compared to that pressure that men, men face. Uh, and one of them is the, um, the biological pressure we face. Yeah. And, um, and this is something we kind of probably escape. I mean giving birth we it's a it's an extra pressure and it's it must be beautiful i don't have children but people who have children say it's beautiful but it's a pressure isn't it at the end of the day men don't face any of that uh they they probably live a completely different experience compared to that experience that we as women live absolutely absolutely and in the the modern world particularly where there are other pressures new pressures on women to have a successful career to you know travel to be well-rounded people and not just you know get married and have children at 21 um that then puts pressure on our careers in our 20s and our early 30s that men perhaps don't have and then you tie that into you know the pressures that we put on ourselves because we perhaps think well I, I know I want to have a child before 35 so I need to have achieved xyz um I say put on ourselves, but clearly society adds to that pressure as well. Then you've got potential inequality when it comes to employment. When a woman is is 30, she perhaps becomes less attractive to an employer because there's the possibility that she might suddenly get pregnant. And there's this risk. I mean, I'm saying risk as if I agreed with it. I don't. I, uh, unfortunately, I know this quite well because in the industry I work for as cabin crew, this is a reality. I mean, luckily the airline I work for allows you to, to be a real person and to have children and build a family. But there are many airlines in the Middle East that the moment you get pregnant, the moment there is a lot of pressure on you, they expect you nine, uh, when you, return back from your maternity leave to be in the same weight wow to fit in your uniform if not you are sent to what they call fat camps no <laughs> uh, uh, exactly and you can be fired if you if you, if you cannot fit back into your uniform you you can be fired you know one of the things i keep i keep thinking is we don't get enough maternity leave and the fact that men don't get enough maternity leave either and it's not, I don't feel like it's not fair for them not to get the same length of paternity leave, let's call it. I think the message behind that is, oh, it is the mother's responsibility to be there and not the father's responsibility Absolutely. to be there. Absolutely. And interestingly, I I can't remember all the details, but there are, in certain Nordic countries, they have kind of changed that so that men have equal access to paternity leave. And in the first few years of the project, men simply weren't taking it. They weren't taking it because <laughs> I think that's that expectation that the woman is the person who stays at home, clearly in, in heterosexual relationships, is so kind of ingrained that men weren't taking advantage of time off. And they changed it so that it became a kind of use it or lose it system so that men were almost forced to take the paternity leave because it couldn't be transferred to the woman, um, to their partner. Well, I think that's great. I think that's that's great. Yeah, and they had a huge uptake in in people taking advantage of it when it became a use it or lose it, as opposed to a heterosexual couple making the decision, okay, we have 12 months, let's say, how do we want to divide it? 
um, because in 99% of cases, it was that the woman took on on the primary childcare um, in that first year. Yeah, no, exactly. And that, that's exactly how I feel when I see systems that are not built for you to take enough time. Take, for example, this, um, what's the name of the, the act? Family Act in America, the Family and Medical Leave Act in the USA. So 12 weeks of maternity and paid leave. I mean, is this a joke? How do you expect me to go on maternity leave I know. if it is unpaid? I mean, I wonder how much this is like to do with sexism and how much it's to do with the working environment in the US. Um, because I think there are lots of criticisms hmm, over yeah. the amount of holiday available. I mean, you have to like earn holiday over years. <laughs> you you don't have this kind of national yeah. amount that you have to get. Uh, so I, I wonder how much that is just work in America and employment laws in America as opposed to sexism but clearly the two go hand in hand because that but it's just it's just it's just not fair is it um we are actually talking about this pressure we face as women and i cannot even begin to imagine being a woman in america and going through this process of thinking oh my god what am i gonna do when i have a baby uh, 12 weeks of unpaid leave it means probably you have to start saving in advance or I don't know work while you while you have a baby which I guess it's what most people Absolutely. tend to do and then I think this <laughs> the risk of turning this conversation into a what on earth is wrong with America conversation but babies <laughs> also cost a lot to have like babies can cost something like can cost something like 20 or 30 thousand dollars to have a baby in a hospital to give birth um, and obviously many women have insurance but even so it just It's, That's crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. A quick interruption to remind you that your chance to get involved is nearly upon us. My next Deep Talk discussion programme for C1 and C2 Speakers of English is going to be starting at the beginning of May 2022. Get your name on the waitlist to be offered an early, reduced price spot and make sure you're following me on Instagram to hear all about what the programme is going to be like. Um, another aspect I was thinking about is the pressure we face when we are in groups okay. and when we are for example with our friends and I feel as women we have the pressure to be a good friend while men don't have that pressure if I observe my friends in school or in university I think as women we have to be I mean we obviously we always have to be nice <laughs> with our friends but <laughs> um I think men can say, can be more direct to each other and be more honest and open with each other and say say whatever they think. While women, if you say whatever you think to your friend, that might be uh, that might come across as rude. That's really interesting. I've never thought about it like that because I think certainly in the UK, there's a movement. There are actually a number of charities that have started to kind of get men talking to each other because uh, I think the leading source of death in males under a certain age is suicide um, because mm. male relationships are so often founded without that idea of communication so I guess I understand what you mean mm. in okay. terms of you have to be nice but I'm not sure that that male relationships have 
communication at their heart. Yeah, it's probably it's probably more connected to my culture. But okay. in my, in Argentina, where I'm from, men tend to be very open with each other. If you turn up with a pair of trousers that they think it's it's not appropriate or it's funny, they'll be like, "Mate, why are you wearing that?" I mean, and they'll they'll be able to tell you that in your face, or they'll joke right. about it. While a woman would never tell you that. She'll be like, oh, that's so pretty. So I think the idea behind this is like, you know, as women, we have the pressure to be nurturing and accommodating all the time and making the rest of the world feel uh, like at ease or like everything is okay. Uh, Yeah, I definitely agree. Agree with that. Women are often put into the, the kind of fixing problems role. Uh, not in a not at a big sort of corporate level, of course, we couldn't possibly handle that kind of pressure. But within kind of social situations, we are supposed to mm. make things kind of easier and smoother for the people around us. Um, and there are, of course, exceptions yeah, of that. And you have, you know, TV programs based on like women throwing glasses of wine in each other's faces. <laughs> there are definitely the argumentative oh. stereotypes of women as well. But that's certainly, that's never portrayed as like, yeah, fair enough. That's how women act, which is perhaps fair enough. <laughs> we shouldn't we shouldn't be violent towards one another. But women who do act more perhaps physically um, and upset other people are shown as not the way that women should be. Mm-hmm. It's not feminine. Yeah. And all these ideas around like what being feminine implies and how you should be talking and walking and behaving and dressing and if you are challenging those stereotypes be careful absolutely one point that i actually really enjoyed that she made was about the men as provider and again she was looking at heterosexual relationships and she gives the example of you know a man having to pay on the first date and I mean I remember a very frustrating conversation I had with a young young member of my family who's kind of 19 20 who absolutely subscribed to that rule which just made me really angry but something that the writer mentions is how this provision men as provider is always seen in terms of materialism it's always providing financial support it's buying flowers it's paying for dates it's perhaps funding the family you know going out and being the breadwinner Uh, whereas she raises this other form of provision that would actually be very valuable in a relationship which is emotional provision asking about her day helping her plan a future together you know being the emotional support that adult humans in relationships need and yet that so often is not the same thing as providing a man as long as he foots the bill is providing even if his partner is completely emotionally (laughs) devoid of support I think the idea is very interesting and I'm going to separate the material side of providing from the you know affectionate side um from the material perspective i have to say i always disagreed with this idea mm-hmm. um i mean we are the first one to say and this is going to be controversial I'll, I'll take it but <laughs> we are all uh, we are the first ones to beg for equality 
to be treated the same way as men, but then we expect them to treat us like we are less or like we need them to pay our bills. Right. Um, I mean, again, this is very controversial, but this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. I don't go on dates very often. I actually have been with my partner for seven years now, but whenever I, whenever <laughs> I went on a date, um, I never allowed the other person to pay for my bill. I think it's, if we want equality, then we should be splitting the bill and, and sharing uh, the costs. Mm-hmm. Um, from the um, emotional side, I think it, she's absolutely right. Um, it's not only about providing economical stability. I absolutely agree, although I'm not sure I'm as strict as you in the not paying. I don't think that situations always require splitting the bill but I recognize that my experience is a bit different most of the dates that I've been on in my life have been with women which when I when I started dating women one of the most exciting parts of that was realizing that gender no longer made Mm. any of the decisions so who made dinner and who cleaned up and who paid for a drink was always context-based it was never an assumption because, well, you're the man and I'm the woman. Um, and that was a huge amount of freedom and something that I believe you can bring or should be able to bring mm. to straight relationships. You know, like the person, if somebody earns astronomically more money, yeah, they should probably buy a few more of the dinners. Like if they want to take you yeah, out. Or if you want, uh, yeah, exactly. If you, I've paid dinners for my um, partner, you know, because I wanted to treat him. Exactly. But it it depends like but the idea that this idea from society like men should be paying for your for your dinner i think that's it i think that word should mm. and the title of the um article is expectations it's the expectation that women act in a certain way or men act in a certain way that is the problem i don't think it's the action mm-hmm. if you know men want to and their partner is happy with it pay for lots of things then that's not in itself a bad thing it's the idea that men have the pressure to pay and women have the pressure to accept that payment absolutely yeah no absolutely you kind of mentioned at the beginning something that you disagreed with and I want to get on to that now before we finish because the writer raises the idea that women might be kind of inflicting these expectations on herself and I'm not sure from reading it that she necessarily agrees with this argument but she does present it and she kind of presents the idea that perhaps if we wake up in the morning look in the mirror and you know criticize our own bodies for example are we doing that to ourselves is that something that we are inflicting on ourselves you said you disagreed with it tell me more oh my god so when i when i got to the end of the article i started saying well no i don't think actually you're right um my the feeling i get is that first of all we live in a society we don't i mean if you wake up in an island and then look at your reflection on the water and think oh my god i'm ugly but you're not connected to anything else maybe I would say it is your responsibility. But we live in a society where these expectations are real, unfortunately, and they come from many different um, areas. Television, uh, our co-workers, things we watch, things, you know, people we hang out with. Um, So saying that we are responsible for this expectation, I think is unfair. 
is again putting that pressure on women and she I think she ended up you know ironically she ended up putting this pressure on women saying it is your responsibility not to take these pressures do you know I don't right. know if you see the irony um, no I completely do I think it puts yeah I think when it comes to combating society's ideas of what women should be again that pressure is put on women to reject them rather than for men to reject them like why and it's not necessarily a, a woman or man issue but yet again it's like we are being told to kind of liberate mm-hmm. ourselves and mm-hmm. there's power in that of course but there's also like uh aren't we allowed to like burn society down yeah and she and i think her last argument is like every woman has the ability to decide for herself disagree and i was like mm, not always first of all you might live in a society that does not allow you to decide for yourself if you are lucky enough enough to live in a society that allows you to decide for yourself there are many more things that might, you know, take that power away from you. You might be a very vulnerable person or be you might be facing a situation that leaves you in a position where you cannot decide for yourself. Um, so I think, again, it's a little bit unfair to say that every woman has the power to decide for herself. It's not always the case. You have to look at the person as a whole. Uh, see her experience see what she's going through see what her resources are because if you tell this to a woman who lives with an abusive partner for Mm -hmm. example and you know and they've got uh, financial difficulties and they didn't receive enough education and you know all this you 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 paint a clear picture then you think well does she really have the chance to decide for herself or is the situation actually putting her in a position where she's got no choice um so it's not as it's not so easy to wake up in the morning and be like yeah you know what I'm gonna take these expectations (laughs) and put them in the bin absolutely absolutely I think any solution to really any form of injustice I believe that kind of comes back and puts the pressure on the individual to fight the injustice really underestimates the power of societal pressure and One other thing that I wanted to mention because I found it really interesting. I don't think I'm as anti the writer as you are, perhaps. I thought she made some really good points. Um, She said, you know, even if you are not told directly to do something, she's giving the example of giving up on the idea of having children. Even if you are not told directly, there are systems and actions in this society that convey the message. And yeah, I think people who perhaps say oh well you can just ignore it or you can just choose not to follow those rules perhaps are either incredibly strong individualistic people who of course exist and there are plenty of examples of women who simply reject the rules imposed upon them but I think in the majority of cases it underestimates the strength of those messages that we receive about how that we should act it's kind of like a double double standard isn't it double message I keep thinking about this paternity and maternity leave. Again, you you tell women that they are free, they can work, they can fulfill their careers, but then you don't give them enough leave. Yeah. You don't give them enough money or enough time to recover uh, from a pregnancy. So, I mean, the message is not clear. Yeah, am, I, exactly. am I free enough to go and have, um, um, you know, build my own family? But then at the same time, I'll be sacrificing my own career 
the message is not really clear. I think there's often this, I, the idea of like that women can have it all. Women can have it all. Women can have careers and raise a family. And it's like, of course, there are women who do that. Mm-hmm. But until society gives you the tools you need in order to be able to do that, then that is going to be a, a constant fight, mm-hmm. a constant struggle. Absolutely. Um, and some countries do that better than others. Some societies do that better than mm-hmm. others. Um, you know, we we gave the example of the US, which is often kind of held up because it is, you know, a developed nation, um, the richest, one of the richest countries on earth, and yet has this incredible gender inequality when it comes to mm-hmm. um, to particularly maternity leave but more broader issues as well there's a lot unfortunately there is a lot to be done still we've gained a lot but there's still a lot to be done I agree I agree I think Candelaria we're gonna draw the conversation to a close because I think you and I could keep talking about this for hours if if you left us but I'm (laughs) it's a risk I'm not sure our listeners would appreciate that (laughs) we're gonna reach a point like in the third season of deep deep talk with Candelaria and Rhiannon (laughs) maybe so yeah let's leave it here (laughs) absolutely maybe I'll bring you back for a regular a regular appearance in every season and in this episode we continue our conversation from episode one going on and on (laughs) yeah I think it's uh, but otherwise people are going to be like okay just uh, wrap it up please it's been three years now stop the conversation (laughs) it's been 84 years yes let's finish it let's finish it here thank you so much Candelaria it's been great thank you for inviting me my thanks once again to Candelaria for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast and for picking such a great text and topic. And a big congratulations to her as well. In the time since we recorded this, she took her Cambridge proficiency exam and passed with flying colours, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to you after hearing her in that discussion. She worked really hard to improve her technique, especially in the use of English section that she was pretty worried about, and she managed to get 100% in that part of the test. So impressive and a big well done to her. I want to know what you thought of that episode. You can get in touch via email, you can send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook, or you can leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode. I love hearing your thoughts. It makes the hours of editing and screaming at my computer worth it. Next week will be episode eight of season one, and that will draw our first deep talk season to a close. I can't believe we've very nearly come to the end. Trust me though, next week is a corker. We are most definitely going out on a bang. It doesn't need to be the end for you, however. My Deep Talk discussion programme is opening up again in May for a new 10-week programme. I've been talking to you, finding out what you're looking for, and feel very confident saying that this is going to be the very best Deep Talk yet. If you're an advanced speaker and looking for a safe environment to really push the boundaries of your language, there is no better place to be make sure you are on my mailing list so that you can secure your space as soon as the doors open. That's all from me for now. It's been a pleasure as always. I've been Rhiannon. This has been Deep Talk. Have a wonderful day.